Beatrice. Oh, Mrs. Mountford. He's gone. Father. I know. That's why I came. He died. Oh, my dear. Can I do anything? Not unless you can bring back the dead. I'm sorry. The dead don't usually come back. First Morris. Now Father. Wait. What is it? Someone's coming. It's dark. I can't see. There. Coming over the marsh. Toward the house. Who's there? Who's... Oh, it's not possible. Beatrice? Beatrice? I've come back. Ugh, ghost stories. Mm. Silly. Hmm? Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Mm. Oh, oh, very good, Romana. Henry James. It's good you're reading the best literature from this period of Earth's history. And what are you reading? Tarzan the Terrible. Doctor? Huh? Is that noise again? From the attic? Oh, yes. Yes. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, that's what you said before. Well... Probably just the plumbing. Plumbing? Yeah. Look, it's a venerable old London townhouse. It's bound to make some odd noise. Are you worried it's haunted? <laughs> Ghosts? I mean, what's the point of a ghost story? What, what's the point of a ghost? Oh, the chill up the spine. The glorious tingling mystery of the inexplicable. The inexplicable getting explained. Now that's exciting. Are the ghosts in this ridiculous story even supposed to be real? Are they all in the woman's head? Ah, that's a rather reductive reading. Doctor, those are footsteps. Nonsense. You know, we could always ask him. What? Ask who? Henry James. Henry James? We could ask him about his ghosts. Well... Yes, find out whether they're real or not. We could, but... We'll, we'll take the train. The train? Hmm. Bumping along in the time vortex is all very well, Romana, but there's nothing quite like a steam train. Isn't there? No, no. We've been a little cooped up, haven't we, here in Baker Street? It feels like the Roaring Twenties haven't quite begun to roar. Yeah, but, Doctor... Shh, let's escape. Doctor, we can't just hop on a train to meet Henry James? Of course we can. That's it. I'm going up there. It's fine, Romana. Do you know who's up there? Yeah, uh, no. Well, then how do you know it's fine? Well, if you must know, I wrote myself a little note. A note? Yes, a little note, and tucked it into the pages of Tarzan. <sighs> Dear Doctor, don't go up to the attic. Best wishes, the Doctor. <laughs> and if there's one person I trust absolutely, it's myself. But when did you leave it? Um, I don't know yet. Now, if I recall correctly, Henry James lives in a charming little place called Rye. Fancy a trip into the Kentish Weald, Romana? <sighs> Dr. Henry James is dead. What? So, if you want to see him, it's the TARDIS and the Time Vortex. Not a steam train. Dead? How do you know? Biographical note in the turn of the screw. When's that edition from? 1963. And when did James die? 1916. And what year is this? 1922. Poor Henry. Oh, that's the problem with being a Time Lord. Everyone you meet either has been dead... Or will be dead. You're surrounded by ghosts. Don't be morbid. 
It's such lovely autumn weather. Let's take the steam train. Doctor. Rise should be charmingly peaceful. Come on. You're safe. You're at home. Home. Malkin Place with me. Oh, Beatrice. I heard you from my room. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't be silly. Oh. Hot milk. That always helped when we were children. Don't leave me. I'll just be a minute. If it were just my dreams. But it's not. Morris. The spirits. Morris. They're here in the house. I've heard them. Dreams. Whispering and crying. So sad. Morris, stop it. I'm a coward, B. I know, but I'm scared. You are not a coward. It's shell shock. No, it's the men from Passchendaele. What? The ones who died in the war. The ones left in the mud. No. And I've asked someone to help. You've... what? Who? Don't be angry. A spiritualist. A spiritualist? Yes. He'll be on the 1123. <laughs> Nothing quite like travelling by steam train, is there, Tom, my boy? No, Mr. Talbot. This way. Careful with the luggage. Yes, Mr. Talbot. One of these carriages must have some seats. Aha! Excuse me? Yes? Are these seats occupied? Be our guests. Ah. Tom, my boy, seats in here. I'll secure them. You bring the luggage. Good day, good day. Most accommodating. Ah, thanks. Yeah, mine and my young wards. Not at all. Tom, all right, my boy? Yes, Mr. Tobert, I'm just... just a little stuck. Good, good. Most pleasant to make new acquaintances on trains, eh? <laughs> I'm already getting a sense from your auras, you understand, that you are most interesting persons. Our, Our auras? <laughs> Thomas, Thomas, be careful. Some of the apparatus in those bags is most delicate. I'm sorry. Although I hope I've always made clear to you that any paraphernalia associated with our work is not naturally as important as essential as the sensitivity of those persons taking part. No, Mr. Talbot. I mean, yes. But certain basic equipment can sometimes, nonetheless, prove extremely useful. Yes. <clears throat> there. Good, good. Take a seat. Meet our travelling companions. This is, uh... I'm the Doctor. I'm Romana. A pleasure. I'm Ned Talbot. And this is my ward and assistant, Tom Woodchurch. Hello. Uh, forgive my asking. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Did you say you have some kind of specialist equipment in your luggage? Equipment? Yes, indeed. 
In our quest to penetrate into the occluded spheres of our existence, various basic-seeming tools are often helpful. In order that we might unlock new mysteries regarding life and death. In order to add to the wisdom of the ages. To unravel, in short, the secrets of the universe. Oh, and most importantly, to comfort those to whom we minister. Do you understand? In short. Are you a scientist? A scientist? Goodness, no. No? No. If we must resort to the crudity of labels, I am certainly not a scientist. I am a spiritualist. Ah. Morris, you need rest. You do not need fraudulent tricksters filling your head with silly ideas. Beatrice. There are no spirits. I need to know what's haunting this house. Nothing. Except perhaps grief pressing in on us. We don't need ghosts to explain that. Beatrice, please. I'll heat the milk. I'm sorry. No! B, he's here! I'm not dreaming now! And what's a spiritualist? Well, in my experience, they vary from being out-and-out -out frauds to gullible innocence taken in by out-and-out -out frauds. Ah, we're quite used to sceptical hostility, aren't we, Tom? Oh. Yes. So I take it you're not interested then, sir, in seeking out the unaccountable, the intangible? Oh, I have my moments, but I've generally found the inexplicable can always be explained. Isn't that rather reductive? Yes, Doctor. What about the chill up the spine, the glorious mystery of the inexplicable? Perhaps your experience is somewhat limited. My experience? Look, I'll have you know that my experience is spectacularly extensive. And ghostly phenomena always have some kind of explanation. Thank you. It could be a simple matter of quantum mechanics, magnetic fields, perhaps. An idiomotor effect. Yes, or some kind Electrical of... Electrical stimulation of the brain. That's a bit far-fetched, but possible in any case. All that's needed is the application of common sense. And perhaps a few simple bits of equipment. Equipment? Mm, scientific equipment. Basic little things. An invariant scryer. Uh, a what? Basic, Doctor. I've probably got one in a pocket somewhere. I know what you both are. <laughs> I doubt it. Psychical debunkers, aren't you? Running around trying to trap spiritual seekers. Put them in a test tube. No. Dismissing anything that doesn't fit into the tidy pigeonholes of your neat little imagination. I'm insulted. I've been called many things in my life but never neat. Are you telling us you've encountered definite proof of spiritual contact? Aha! Thomas and I are, at this very moment, on our way to a most definite case of haunting. Aren't we, Tom? Oh, uh, yes, I suppose. Really? Very strange goings-on. In an old, isolated house called Malkin Place, right in the middle of Romney Marsh, Two residents, Beatrice and Morris, twins, 23 years old. Isolated house, eh? Yes. Hmm. Strange goings on, you say? Yes. Doctor, you do remember we're heading to the charmingly peaceful town of Rye, don't you? 
Doctor. You're sure you don't want tea, Mrs. Mountford? No, thank you, Beatrice. Thank you for calling in. It's a long way. Oh, I've always enjoyed the walk over the marsh when the weather's fine. Looks like a fog's coming. Oh, damn! You seem distracted. Is it Morris? A bad night? Yes. The nightmares. He just isn't the same boy as before the war. Beatrice, of course. The horrors you hear of the front. Many men came back haunted. Haunted? Yes. And coming home to learn his father had just passed. I know, but the war ended four years ago. You should move. This house is so far from anyone. Morris won't hear of it. Why not? I need it sweet this morning. Let me just get the... Oh. What? The sugar bowl was here. I'm sure I... Oh! Beatrice? Did you feel so cold, but the door shut. Beatrice, can you hear it? Who's there? I can't see anyone. Where's the child? It's happy. Where is it? It shouldn't be here. Where is it? So different from the metropolis, eh? Oh, that air, this landscape. So flat, such big skies. Yeah. Are we sure we're heading the right way? We're following the directions from the station, aren't we? So, what is it exactly you spout about, Talbot? I beg your pardon? Theosophy. Are you a follower of Madame Blavatsky, or is it Odic forces? Do you have a spirit guide? Hmm? Some disincarnate personage from India, perhaps? Or is it slates in your luggage for automatic writings? Or crystal balls to gaze into the etheric plane? How much do you charge per seance, Talbot? You, sir, are a rude man. I just wouldn't want to get lost out here. I take no money for my work, sir. A life of industry has permitted me to be of service to others funded solely by my own resources. Ah. Nor do I claim to be any kind of expert. I'm a student, a servant, not a teacher, not a master. Well, I'm glad you don't call yourself master. I think a fog's coming. Fog on the bog. Is he always like this? The doctor, yes. Is Talbot? Yes. And you, Tom, do you believe all this spiritualist stuff? Mr. Talbot's... He's been very kind to me. That's not what I asked. You know, if a fog does come, I don't fancy stumbling onto marshy ground. We could walk off the path without noticing. Do you want a hand with the bags? No, no, I'm all right. I spent a fruitful day in the British Library before coming. This landscape's full of history. Can you not feel it? Ah, history. I like history. Roman soldiers, medieval priories... Smugglers in the 18th century, they've all been here. And from the look of these drainage ditches, I'd say the place used to be underwater once upon a time. Indeed. Much of it's been reclaimed from the sea. And that should make it an excellent place for the spirits. Liminal. 
the threshold between land and sea, betwixt earth and water. Oh, Talbot. And we were nearly starting to get along. The laughter. The child. What laughter? That was just the wind, Mrs. Mountford. What? Now I want to... Oh! What? What? What is it? Morris! Yes? I didn't know you'd gone out. What's the matter? Nothing. We thought we heard... Nothing! Oh, Morris, there's a fog coming. You'll catch your death. I was just walking. Where, for heaven's sake? Just on the marsh. It reminds me of Flanders. The bits that weren't blasted into nothingness. Oh, Morris, that's not going to... Mrs Mountford thinks we should move. We could get away from here. No. Why not? Because this is the place I found my way back to. To this house. To you, Beatrice. I can't leave, even if I am scared. Scared? Mr Talbot will help. He'll speak to the spirits. Spirits? Oh, for heaven's sake. Fog's getting in. Beatrice? What is it? Shh. There's something coming. We should keep going. In this fog? Well, are we just going to stand here? We can't see more than a few feet ahead. And we've no idea what direction the path goes in. Nonsense. It's this way. Some assistance, please. Careful. Here, let me. Thank you, my boy. Still think we should keep going? Hmm. Then we are just going to stand here. I do have a better suggestion. You mean the scientist doesn't? I dare say I could pinpoint our exact position using satellite trilateration. Try what? Well, if you'll just wait a few decades for some satellites... Satellite? Yes, yes, a rather brilliant scientific invention. Oh. oh, hush, both of you. All right, Tom, can you see something out there? No, just the fog, which means there could be anything. Oh, don't you start. It's their talk about history. You can just imagine Roman soldiers, a band of smugglers, muskets ready. Did you read ghost stories as a child by any <laughs> chance? I suggest we listen for signs of life. Oh, no, just a tree. What's that? Oh, a sheep, common on the marsh. Wait, there's something moving. Over here. Ah! Oh, Ramona! Birds. <laughs> It's just birds. We're scaring ourselves. There's nothing out there. What was that? It must be the house. It came from this direction. Someone's in danger. Come on. Give her some air. What was it? Why did you scream? I felt... Felt? Something touched my arm. Oh, my God. What, Beatrice? A uh, hand. A little hand. It was... Wet. No. 
You need to calm yourself, Beatrice. The men, they're here. They've come for me. Stop it, both of you. We heard someone scream. What happened? Are you all right? Calm down. There's no emergency. Oh, no one in imminent danger? No. Oh. Well, then who screamed? What's the matter? We heard someone scream. More of them. All right now, Beatrice screamed, but she'll be fine if she's given a little air. It's suddenly Piccadilly Circus in here. Right. Are you Beatrice? Mm, yes. Well, let's get you somewhere else, shall we? Tom, come and help. We'll find out what's happened when she's recovered. All right. Come on, miss. Mm. That's it. Easy now. Well, that's a little better. Would now somebody please tell us who on earth you all are? Ah, uh, well, yes, yes, well, you were already expecting this gentleman, Mr Ned Talbot, and that was his assistant, Tom. Uh, the spiritualist? Yes, yes, my boy. Don't fret. And you are? Oh, me? Oh, well, we were slightly less expected. I'm the doctor. That was Romana. You're here to help as well? Always. You're just in time. The manifestations are getting stronger. Manifestations? Now, don't panic, my boy. I have been in many similar houses before, and I have received many positive responses from the spirits. I just want them to go. I... Sorry? You want the spirits to go? Yes. But, my boy, surely you want to hear what they have to say, what comfort they bring. They bring no comfort. Morris, isn't it? Yes. Can I talk to you a moment, Morris? Of course. Ah. Ooh. Ooh, something feels... What's wrong? Oh, it's so cold. Stop! Nobody move. What is it? Yes. Ooh. Oh, my word, yes. Ooh, a cold spot. A definite cold spot. And strongest just... Ooh, here. Right between you. Oh, this is wonderful. I must mark it. Where's my chalk? Uh, Morris, do you mind awfully just moving over there? And I'll move this way. Found it. There. Very good. Very good. And after all your scepticism, Doctor... Oh, one can only be right nearly all the time. Now, my boy, where shall we prepare? Prepare? For this evening's seance. Oh, the dining parlour? Lead on, then. All right. And, Mrs Mountford, could you please check on Beatrice? Oh. Mrs Mountford? Where's she gone? The other lady? I didn't notice. Uh, but listen, my boy. Your sister will be fine with Romana and Tom. As for us, this evening's attempt at contact won't prepare itself. Something's badly wrong here. Ah, there. Oh, it's taking now. Thank you. I can never get it lit first time. I was always good at lighting a fire. <laughs> my dad taught me. Oh, Talbot. Talbot? Uh, he's not my dad. No, um, my dad's dead. Oh, I'm sorry. It's all right. Actually, so's mine. Just a few months ago, the influenza. Oh, uh, then I'm sorry, miss. Rotten, isn't it? <laughs> Don't call me miss. It's Beatrice. Oh, <laughs> Beatrice. Beatrice, how are you feeling now? Better. How's Morris? Well, unfortunately, he's in your parlour helping Talbot prepare a seance. What? Right. But if you're feeling up to it, I'd like to know what happened. When? Just before we arrived. Nothing happened. 
Well, something must have provoked your reaction. It was nothing. My imagination. Well, what did you imagine? We can help, the Doctor and I, not Talbot. Well, no offence, Tom. That was fine. But help with what? With, well, well, whatever's going on. The ghosts. There are no ghosts. Well, I agree. But all the same, something made Romana, you... there are no ghosts. Now, please, leave me be. Strange. What's strange? Oh, you weren't making it up. You really do have an invariant screer. I never make things up, but these readings look fictional. Let me see. Oh, yes, I see what you mean. And there's no cold spot now. No what? Cold spot. There, over that chalk mark. A few hours ago, it felt colder than a winter on Vostok 3, when Morris was nearby. And where have you been since? Well, all over the house. Bumped my head twice on low beams. Found nothing, except a picturesque old house. Beatrice says it was an inn years ago. I think she's hiding something. You don't think it was an inn? No, about... Well, why she screamed, for one thing. I'm just going. What? Mrs Mountford. Where did you come from? The hall. Very quietly. I'm just going. I'd rather not be around any seances. Well, you won't hear any arguments from us. Not that I have a problem with ghosts. Oh. Or goblins, pixies or elves come to it. I just think that if they wish to talk, they'll do so in their own good time. Goodbye. Will it be safe? Going home in that fog? The fog? <laughs> that doesn't bother me. You're the ones who should worry. Staying in the house, poking spirits with a stick. Goodbye. Ooh, cheery. There is something wrong here, Romana. Getting that chill up your spine, Doctor? Yes, I'm down. Welcome, welcome. Thank you all for gathering. Please take your seats. As you'll see, we're nearly ready to make a beginning. Tom has placed cloths over the lamps. He's just lighting the candles. Nearly done. Yes, awfully effective. Don't let any of it disturb you. The spirits find such dim conditions more conducive to their appearance and communication. Or the spiritualist more conducive for his tricks. All done. Good. Now, are we all in our designated seats around the table? Yes. Morris at my right hand here. Beatrice on my left. Good. Now, one by one, we must link hands. Morris, for the last time, must we really go through this charade? Please, Beatrice. Tonight must be the end of it. Courage, Morris. We're on the brink of great things. And so, Beatrice, take my hand, please. If I must. Very good. Now, Romana, please take hers. Very well. Here, Beatrice. The doctor take hands with Romana. Oh, all very jolly, eh? <laughs> I just take my coat off for the moment. I'll just pop it under the chair here. That's all right, Talbot? Of course. Ah, there. Now, your hand, Romana. Good. Now, Tom, take hands with the Doctor. Here, Doctor. My pleasure. Then Morris with Tom. Very well. And finally, I take Morris's hand. Uh, uh, doctor? Cold again. 
Concentrate, clear your minds. We are speaking to the spirits present in this house. We are listening. We are present in body and mind. We wish to know what you would say to us. Is that it? Beatrice. Spirits, we fear not. Neither do we presume. We wait on you. Grant us your presence. Well, thank goodness that's over. Let's all... Who's doing that? What is it? Someone's here. It's a trick. It must be. Normally I'd share your suspicion. But? There's a basic motion sensor hidden in the pocket of my coat. If there was some movement from Talbot below the table, we'd know about it. No, I want to stop. Don't break the circle. <gasps> Listen, they come. It's the men who are lost. But it's a child. The spirits are not on our mortal plane. They are disincarnate, therefore ageless. But something's happening. <gasps> What's wrong? What is it doing? Don't break the circle. Spirits, whom do you see? The door. I don't like the way this is going, Talbot. What do you wish to say? Speak to us. On the sideboard. That vase is moving. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what, Morris? This has to stop. Romana, keep hold of her hand. Don't let Beatrice break the circle. Doctor. Watch out for the vase. <laughs> Hold on to her! Something's wrong. Something shouldn't be here. Doctor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Another one! No more! I've lost her hand. No! You've broken the circle! It's a trick! A fraud! Come, get out of my way. I need to get to Morris. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry for what, Morris? Huh? I need an answer. Take my hand. Oh, I can't see anything. Is everyone all right? Beatrice. Morris, all right? I'm here. I'm still here. Talbot? She shouldn't have broken the circle. They've gone. Tom? I'm fine. Doctor? Doctor? Doctor, where are you? The doctor isn't here anymore. What was... No. Tom, have you still got the matches? Of course. Sorry. Come on. There. There's no child. There's no doctor. He's gone.
doctor isn't here anymore. What was... No! Tom, have you still got the matches? Of course, sorry. Come on. There. There's no child. There's no doctor. He's gone. They came for me. It's a trick. It has to be a... Uh, Beatrice! Oh, she's fainted. Beatrice? Give her some air. The doctor's coat. What, what are you looking for? The invariant screer. This is... I've seen the physical materialise from the spirit world as ectoplasm, but for the spiritual side to take something from the physical, it's unheard of. <sighs> the spirits have taken no one. Oh, Doctor, how can you carry so much rubbish? What's an invariance thing? Measures disturbance in space-time. Wherever the Doctor's gone, there has to be a residual... Ah. Well? <laughs> Trusting a scientific instrument now. The reading indicates he, he, he's some distance in that direction. On the marsh? Come on. You're going out there in the dark? In the fog. Tom, stay with Beatrice. Keep her safe. Talbot? Coming. And me. No, Morris, you I have to put this right. Let's go. Hold the lantern up. Yes. Listen. Is it the doctor? He'll drown. Dear God, he'll drown! Help! He's in the mud! Help! Who's he talking Please, to? Help! I don't know! It was the whiz-bang! Help! Morris, you're here, with us. Ramona? Help! Help! Doctor! Come on! Stop, Romana! Don't get any closer. I, I'm in a bit of a bog and sinking. Keep hoping my feet will touch bedrock. No luck so far. Ah, reinforcements. We need to get him out. He's already up to his chest. He'll drown. Only if we don't get him out. God, he'll drown. He'll drown. Morris! Morris! Gently, Romana, gently. Violence. Listen to me! The doctor's in danger! He needs us! Sorry. I know what to do. What? I'm going to lie flat. Yes. Hold my ankles. Now what? I'll wriggle towards the doctor. In the nick of time. Hold on. Nearly there. Good lad. Doctor, grab my arms. Yes, yes. I've got you. Now, Talbot, Romana, pull. Uh, Come on! We're trying! He's not shifting. Don't give up, my boy. It's working. His shoulders are free. Pull. We are. Only waist deep now. One last effort. Well done, Morris. Good lad. Oh, yes. Mud, mud. Oh, glorious mud. <laughs> I'll never sing that again. Delightful garden, hmm? The bits you can see through the fog. 
You got your clothes clean and dry then? Soaked them in a tub. Then I dozed off in a rather comfy rocking chair while they steamed by the fire. Do I still smell a bit moggy? Doctor, what happened to you last night? Uh, some sort of space-time displacement. Well, obviously. The strangest feeling. Suddenly being yanked out of place. Imagine travelling through the vortex without the protection of the TARDIS around. Ugh. Exactly, exactly. But what caused it? Morris. What? Not consciously, but he is the centre of some instability. What about Beatrice? Well, the manifestations in the house are connected to it. She's denying things. Proximity to Morris seems to trigger. she's clearly repressing something. I wondered if our so presence... So she must know mm. something to repress. We have to find out. Whereas Morris is simply things escalate further. Didn't know where he was last night. Can't have localised Newtonian laws being broken willy-nilly. Beatrice is the key. They exist for good reasons. Yeah, yes. Sorry. What were you saying? So we're agreed. On who to tackle first, of course. Morris! Beatrice. <laughs> Bless them. Oh, Mrs. Mumford. What are you doing? Come to visit Beatrice. But she's happy with someone else's company this morning. They're in the kitchen. Listen. What? You're cleaning up the mess. Does me good to hear her laugh. She's been carrying the weight of the world. You must have arrived early. You live nearby? Not far. I heard about last night. Warned you not to mess with seances. Yes, you did. Ready now? One... To a loop. <laughs> you caught it. I told you. Now, pancakes, I can do. Now, omelettes, that's another matter. Oh, father used to love an omelette when we still had cook before the war. You never mention your mother. She died giving birth to us. Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. It was only ever father, me and Morris. It must have been hard seeing Morris go off to fight. Yes. I used to stand on the beach at Dimchurch. If the wind was right, sometimes you could hear the guns. From the front? Really? Like thunder far away. I used to listen, fear the worst. And I felt his fear, Morris's. We've always been like that. People said it's because we're twins. But he came home, Beatrice. Yes. Now all I'm scared of is Mr Talbot's nonsense. What about last night? Last night was... Look, I've enjoyed meeting you, Tom, but I think Mr Talbot should leave now. He lost someone too, you know? In the war? Well, not the Great War. In, in the Boer conflict. His son. That's when he found spiritualism. Desperate to believe his Alfred hadn't gone forever. Can you understand that? Yes. I suppose I can. Hello, Beatrice. Tom. Shall we talk about last night? Oh, not you as well. There's nothing to talk about. There's a secret in this house, Beatrice. And I need to know what it is. Rest easy, my boy. Rest easy. Hmm. 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 What have you collected here, then? Hmm? Oh, strange looking. Hello? Ah, Morris asleep. Yes, the persistence of the spirits takes its toll. Mm. I imagine the war didn't help either. Mm. He was sent off at 18 into that horror, but the war ended four years ago, and yet look how drawn his cheeks are. I might just keep my distance for now. Why? You owe him your life. For which I'm extremely grateful. And last night's rescue at least shows the disturbances aren't constant. Eh? 
Morris was able to grab me without... I say, Talbot, what's that? I think they're some of Morris's war mementos. Trophies from the enemy. That one. The one on top. Yes. Curious design for a watch, isn't it? German, I suppose. May I? Well, come over here, then. All right, then. Ooh. Oh, 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 the temperature. Yes. Where did I put that invariant scribe? Uh, it's him. It's all right, my boy. Ah, uh, yeah. Interesting. What is it? What were you just dreaming about, Morris? I, I can't remember. You said it's him. Who? Who do you think is crying? I don't know. What happened to you during the war, Morris? I can't remember. Doctor, the boy's confused. I'm sorry, but I need the truth, or things will only get worse. Well, I hate to say I told you so. Secret? There's no secret. You're as bad as Talbot, Romana. Wait, can you feel it? Something cold. Your imagination? No, there's something. The garden door. The, the wind. You don't believe that, Beatrice. Look. Footprints appearing on the floor. Muddy. From a child. No. Get it out. Get it out. It stopped. No. 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 Who said that? Get out now. It's running away. Back into the garden. Who told it to go? None of us. You want to deny this, Beatrice? It's not... I... No! Beatrice! Romana! This is bigger than her feelings, Tom. I'll go after her. What? Romana? Door slammed shut! And I... I can't get it open! <laughs> My fault! Also mine and Romana's. What? Our immersion in the time stream. Magnifying disturbances. <laughs> oh, Doctor! Morris's shaving yes, kit! Yes, unless you want a razor in your throat, I... Dark! <laughs> Seven years bad luck, Talbot. I'm sorry. It might be better if I wasn't in Morris's proximity. You're going? Well, things might ease if I'm not nearby. Get him to calm down. Doctor? Well, I didn't slam it shut. <laughs> I can't get it open. We must get to Beatrice. Beatrice. Something's out in the hallway. Well, if it is, it's out there with Beatrice. Beatrice. Come on. Help. That's it. The house is tearing itself apart. Beatrice, where are you? There, under the stairs. I'm going to. Uh, wait, Romana. Uh, uh, Beatrice! Oh, watch out for the hat stand. Beatrice! Romana, here! Romana, make it stop! Need the truth. You have to tell me. What are you hiding? What's the secret, Beatrice? What's the secret? I rather appear to be stuck in here, in which case, Morris, listen. I need to know what happened to you. I can't remember. Some kind of displacement. What? You were transported somewhere else, a different place, a different time even. <laughs> Doctor, the curtain! Time, time! Of course. Morris, 
How old are you? What? How old? Uh, 18. I'm 18. The age you were when you went off to war. But how is that possible? Your twin sister is 23. What? 23? Wait! I remember. Doctor, it stopped. Oh, I begin to see. <laughs> Romana? Yes. Beatrice, it stopped. I'll tell you. I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> It was during an advance. It had rained for weeks. Our artillery couldn't get enough guns forward. Then Jerry found our range. The ground was impossible. We couldn't keep formation. Craters filled with liquid mud. And then... Morris, what was his name? Jack. Ah. My pal. Heap. Our very first day in the front line, a sniper would have had me. Jack saw the danger, pulled me down in the nick of time. And what happened to him? A shell knocked us clean off our feet. Next thing I knew, I was on my back, face up to the rain. And Jack was in one of the shell holes, sinking, going to drown. Morris didn't come home from the war. What do you mean? He was dead. What? That's what we thought. His body never recovered. The army form they sent said missing. We knew what that meant. Father died thinking he was gone. When he got the influenza this year, he didn't fight it. Didn't seem to want to somehow. I lost them both. I was frozen. The shock of it. I'd been windy as hell, God knows, in the run-up to the battle. And when he... I'm a coward. No, my yes. boy. Jack was calling. The more he struggled, the more he sank. His eyes, oh God, his eyes. I should have tried, but I was so scared of sinking myself. God, what an awful way to go. And what then? Something unearthly. A tunnel of light. Oh, what? From nowhere. It's sort of blue, streaming into the distance. The mud and bodies gone, just the tunnel. And at the end of it, home. Malkin Place. I could see it, and Beatrice. Standing outside. I'm a coward. I abandoned Jack. I crawled for home. 
It was the night father died, four years after the war. I ran outside into the rain and Morris walked in from the marsh in his uniform, muddy, dazed, but there, alive, he'd come back. I don't understand. How does he account for the missing years? He can't remember. We don't discuss it. I don't care. <laughs> Hush, Morris, Morris, Morris. Shh, 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 shh. Rest, rest, rest. I'll send Beatrice up. Well, Talbot, we've found our ghost. What do you mean? He came through a vortex tunnel. Morris should not be here. Morris is a man out of time. Doctor, that's a... Yes. A what? Where did it come from? One of Morris's trophies from the war. Trophies? Lots of the Tommies collected things. Is it a watch? No, it's crude, looks damaged, but it's a... It's time technology. I said it was a watch. Probably capable of opening a vortex tunnel. Doctor, where did it come from? I don't know yet, but it explains the manifestations. What? Morris came forward in time from 1917, so the future is pressing back onto the house. A time vacuum. A time vacuum in 1917 trying to suck Morris back. Yes. But the spirits... They're not ghosts from the past. They're from the future. They're normal children pulled back from the future. Normal? Out of place, yes. But perfectly ordinary children pulled into a secondary time zone. But they've been terrorising Morris and Beatrice. What have they been doing? Crying? Laughing? Slamming doors and breaking things? Running in from the garden with muddy feet? <laughs> Sounds like normal children to me. Poppycock. Children are more susceptible to variation in a time stream, of course. Of course, but how did Morris open the vortex? By accident, at a guess. I'd say it was a combination of his psychic terror, this damaged temporal device, and possibly chancing upon a weak point in time. A weak point? Yeah. Maybe his friend Jack. Jack? Something different was meant to happen. Perhaps. Nonsense. And when the tunnel opened, Morris came here because of his bond with his twin. Yes. Arriving just as she suffered the loss of their father. You are right about Beatrice being key. Thank you. But none of this answers how we stop it. Things are getting more violent. So, unless Morris goes back... Doctor, the whole fabric of time will be torn apart. Yes, it's not fair, is it, Romana? You and I, we get to knock about the vortex whenever we feel like it, and poor Morris has been caught in his web, forbidden from escaping the war. He wouldn't be the only one. Well, I suppose you're right. Somehow I must reach Morris before he came forward. We need the TARDIS. No time, ironically. But then what? Talbot? Yes? How about another seance? What do you think you are doing, Beatrice, going through this again? I trust Romana, Mrs Mountford, and something has to be done. Will it help Morris? They say they can't know what will happen, but we have to face our ghosts. I understand that now. Beatrice? Ready. Staying this time, Mrs. Mountford? Of course not. But 
You take care of Beatrice. We'll try. Places, if you please. Goodbye, Mrs. Oh, she's gone. She really doesn't like seances, does she? Exactly the same as last time. Doctor, you know how dangerous it is to travel through the vortex without a TARDIS? There'll be an envelope of protection from the watch. It's damaged. And how will you direct yourself? Well, I rather hope there'll be a strong stream of Artron energy pulling me back to the right spot, more or less, like the backwash of a wave. More or less? What if you wash up in Italy in 1265, not Flanders in 1917? Uh, I could always pick a bone with Thomas Aquinas, or Big Tom as we used to call him. Ready, Morris? Ready. Very well. You've taken your seats. Now, as before, we link hands. Beatrice? Yes. Romana? Here. Doctor? Mm, Tom? Here, Doctor. Then Tom with Morris, and finally, I take Morris's hand. Now, concentrate. We are speaking to the spirits in this... Increasing in violence, what did I say? Here we go again. Maybe we should have removed the crockery this time. Oh, too late now. What do we do, Doctor? Tom? Let go of your hand and grab Morris. When I do, take Romana's hand, close the circle. Hurry, Doctor. Right. Romana? Yes? Keep things under control. Don't break the circle. Morris, I'm going to grab you. Now. Good Lord. He's gone. Tom, grab my hand. Here. Maintain the circle. Beatrice? Morris? Don't break the circle. Chaps are trying to sleep. Morris. Do I know you? Ah, you will do. Well, have done. (laughs) It's a little complicated. You sure you're in the right place? Yes. Flanders, 1917, the night before the Third Battle of Ypres. The frontline trenches, two miles that way, and Morris Needham here in his temporary billet. Yes. I'm in the right place. Uh, Who are you? I'm the doctor. Keep holding on! How can we tell when the doctor's fixed things? I don't know. Will all this stop? I don't know. I can feel something changing. What? What's changing, Morris? Here's your tea. Bit lukewarm. Thank you. I've worked it out. Oh? Military intelligence, right? Uh, Occasionally. How can I help, sir? Listen, the bombardment's stopping. Yes. The attack's due to begin at 3.10am precisely. There'll be quite a show of British mines going up, Morris. You've been digging them since 1915. Nearly a million pounds of explosives. They'll hear the explosion in London. (laughs) Come off it. Really, really. And you, Morris, sometime in the weeks ahead, your battalion will move up from here to the front line. Well... That's what we're here for. Yes, yes, I I suppose you are. Morris, what's changing? I don't know. Romana, does that mean the doctor's gone there? Wherever there is? Whenever. What? Whenever there is. And I hope so. Can we 
not placate the spirits? They look exactly the same. That's because they are. What do you mean? They're exactly the same watch. Uh, I don't understand. You're here to take my one back, sir. Only I'd be sorry to lose it. Hold it here, close to the other one. This might just work. What's that? An invariant scryer. What? Ah, mm, uh, it was top secret. By the way, you didn't happen to collect anything else along with the watch. I do so hate an unsolved mystery. From the same Jerry Trench? Mm. Yes, actually. There was something. Funny-looking bullet. I got it in a tin. Uh, here. Ah. Not a bullet. Not a bullet? No. A data slug. Data what? I, I'm sorry, Morris. It's no time. But I wondered if I could... I say, a Jerry in a magic lantern. Hologram. <laughs> the British bombardment continues. Relentless. Fatalism of the troops on both sides. The complete stalemate of the situation is absolutely, 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 mm, absolutely... Damaged like absolutely. a temporal device. What was a Bosch doing inside that thing? Him? He was no German. But his uniform... Didn't you hear what he said? He was a warrior historian from New Ultonia, 49th century of Earth's history, or thereabouts. Now I understand. <laughs> 49th? Academics who documented historic conflicts by participating in them. The ultimate battle reenactment. Why would anyone want to reenact the hell of battle? Well, time can erase horrors. I assume this Artak came back to fight and was killed in the attack, poor devil, which damaged the watch and the slug. You're not really military intelligence, are you? Uh, no. I'm here to bring these two watches together. What'll that do? Redacted paradox. It will short out their vortex manipulation capacity. You've lost me. It means, Morris... And I, I'm so sorry. It means you'll be stuck here for the duration. Oh. Well, I was already expecting that, sir. Yes, you must have been. And I truly hope you'll be one of the lucky ones. You have a friend called Jack, don't you? Jack? Yes. Uh, you'll need to look out for him. Me look out for him? <laughs> it's the other way around. It won't be. I'm not like Jack. I'm a, a bit of a coward. I know that's not true. How can you? You saved my life. Me? Mm, well, you have done. You will. You don't understand. But it's true all the same. Morris, you are a very brave young man. Thank you. Listen. That's a nightingale. How can it still be alive out there? Life is remarkable, hmm? Now, just before 3.10, I've got this version of the watch. Pass me yours. Brace yourself. There might be a tiny bit of resultant time way when the watches come together. Doctor, the mines are going up. Yes, bringing the watches together now.
can feel it. Morris, what's happening to him? He's he's getting harder to see. Romana! Time is reasserting itself. Morris will fade from here. Be pulled back to the Nexus. No! Morris! It's fine, Beatrice. It's like... Do you remember swimming at Dungeness? When the undertow would catch you, try and drag you backwards. No! Beatrice, no! You mustn't hold on to me. I can't let you go again. <laughs> Beatrice, you should have gone already. Carried back by the time wave. Something's keeping him here. Good! What? You! What's wrong? It hurts! Beatrice, if you don't let him go, he'll be torn apart, scattered through the time stream. It'll be as if he never existed. You'll never have had a twin. Beatrice, you have to. For Morris. Whole of reality. But if he goes I back... I don't know. Time, history will take its course. It might be wonderful. It might be heartbreaking. I don't know. Beatrice, we have to say goodbye. Morris! We're lucky. It's more than most men at the front get. Oh, Morris! Goodbye, B. Let me go. <laughs> goodbye, Morris. Thank you, B. I'm going to save him. I'm going to save Jack. Is it over? Yes. Oh, Beatrice. Oh, Tom. And the doctor? I don't know. If he destroyed the temporal devices, it was a one-way trip. Look. Dawn's breaking. The fog's lifting. And there's someone out there on the marsh. Well, come on! Two of them. Hard to see against the sun. One of them's the doctor. The other? Is it Morris? How do you know? Hello! <laughs> Fog's lifting. Hello, Tom. Beatrice. Good to see you. And Talbot. Delighted. Likewise, Doctor. But who's this? Ah, of course. Beatrice, this is... Jack. Yes. Hello. It's so good to finally meet you. Your brother, he... I owe my life to him. He saved me. In the war, you know. Yes. I know. He caught a bullet doing it and still managed to get us back to the dressing station. He was simply... He was the bravest man I ever knew. I know. I know he was. Beatrice, should we invite Jack inside for some tea? Of course. Jack? Lead on. Oh, beautiful house. I can see why Morris loved it. Poor Morris. Of course, we couldn't know he wouldn't make it. Of course not. We had to stop the time vacuum. Yes. Uh, Doctor, how did you get back to 1922 from 1917? What? Oh, that, yes. It was tricky, actually. It took me five years to manage it. Five years? Hold on. You mean... <laughs> you just waited? Well, that's how most people do it. But where did you go? 
Paris for a while, and I tried growing a moustache. And then Baker Street... Baker Street? Our townhouse. The noises in the attic. That was you. Yes, not a ghost. Such a convenient location, you know. But the danger to your personal time stream. What if you'd met yourself? I'd have advised shaving off the moustache. I needed to track down Jack. He's something of a poet and an editor publishing other poets. And the war poets, well... Their poetry will probably do more than anything to keep the memory of the Great War alive. It's pity. It's horror. That was his importance to the web of time. Exactly. But poor Beatrice, losing her brother twice. She's brave, like Morris. And maybe the ghosts mean a happy future for this place. The ghosts? The manifestations. Oh, I know they were sometimes crying and throwing temper tantrums, but it definitely means there'll be children here in the future, doesn't it? I see, yes. Maybe even Beatrice's children. Maybe even with... Well, let's allow history to take its course, shall we? What about Talbot? Shouldn't we say goodbye to him? Probably not. Why? Oh, I mean, he's helped enormously in the end, but he's likely to be reassessing a few key suppositions. Oh, you mean, let's not embarrass him. Precisely. It wouldn't be kind. Yes, Doctor. Quite right. They've gone, then? Oh, Mrs. Mountford. Where did you come from? They've gone. Ah, yes. <laughs> Along with the ghosts and my life's work. Your what? How can I believe in spirits after all this? Oh, I don't know. My dear woman, my beliefs are in total disarray. Then I'll let you into a secret, Mr. Talbot. Ghosts have always visited this place, even back in my day. Your day? Before I was killed. I beg your pardon? Out there on the marsh, by the smugglers, damn them, in the year of our Lord, 1742. I... I... And I'm not planning on going anywhere. Big Finish Productions, The Fourth Doctor Adventures, Subterranea. Silex, fighting machines, abominations forged in the flames of war. Silex haven't been seen in this strata for decades. Well, they're here now. Oh, look, rocks. 
It has the appearance of solid rock, but with a very low density. Semi-molten, with a large degree of seismic activity. And it's increasing. Listen. That's no earthquake. That's machinery. Mr. Stoker, that blue box. Have it expelled with the rest of the clinker. Buried, never to be found again. All organics must be corrected and modified. Never! Organics attempting resistance. Commence incineration. All right! That's far enough! Take us to your leader. <laughs> I always love saying that. We're doomed. Done for. Destined to die. Big finish. We love stories. Tom Baker. That's me. My name's Lala Ward, and I play Romana. In the haunting of Malkin Place. What's wrong? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, cold. so cold. Stop! Well, it's, it's marvellous, isn't it? We can, it's another proof that we can do any, anything we want, you know. Um, because ghosts are always ghosts. We don't talk about ghosts in the future. Ghosts are always in the past. And um, if you want to know anything about ghosts or have a relationship with a ghost, then somehow or other you've got to go into the past, sometimes a long way into the past. And really, that's very difficult to do if you're not Doctor Who. <laughs> very difficult indeed, except, of course, in one's imagination. But um, So our writers can send me anywhere they want, and I can take Romana with me. I hate ghosts. And I started reading it, and I thought, oh, God, what are they going to make me say? But actually, I think I'm well enough known now to the people who write these scripts for them to know that if they gave me lines where I went along with the idea that there are such things as ghosts, I'd have been up in arms and causing you all terrible trouble, so you never did, and I'm deeply grateful for it. And I constantly want people to understand that reality is more exciting than this nonsense of the supernatural. A cold spot. A definite cold spot. I'm Simon Jones, and I'm playing Ned Talbot. And after all your scepticism, Doctor... Oh, one can only be right nearly all the time. Well, of course, I know Douglas Adams very well. Um, quite aside from that, I was also on the stage show. Of course he was. With Trevor Martin. And that was Seven Keys to Doomsday. That's right, yeah. Terry Nation. It was a most lavish production, directed by Mick Hughes, the lighting designer, designed by John Napier, who was at his peak at that time, all sorts of hydraulics, and uh, astonishing stage effects. In the first act, I was actually uh, described in the one of the papers, I can't remember which, as 12 foot of cobby, cobwebby malevolence. <laughs> I was uh, the Grand Master of Khan, and I stood on a set of library steps, and uh, in my hands, which formed my elbows, I had those things you get uh, tins off high shelves with, um, so that my arms were twice as long as they really are. And I was covered in cobwebs of some kind and had a huge translucent head with fairy lights in. You the strangest job you've ever had. That was pretty weird. <laughs> and then the second half I had to be a Dalek, because I couldn't be wasted. Just come on for one act. I'm just going. What? My name is Denise Black, and I play Mrs Mountford. Where did you come from? The hall. Very quietly. Second big yes. finish. I'm on me second doctor. Ah, so how did we lure you back? Well, I begged. 
If you remember, I went on my hands and knees and I said, please, 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 I've never been so happy. And you got me, Tom Baker. You understand that Tom's one of my doctors. Is he? Yeah, yeah, he's really one of my doctors. I mean, all the four, first four, anyway, Tom. And of course, I have worked, I want you to know, with a guy called William Russell. And uh, Russell, as I call him, from Russell Enoch and I worked together for a year. We toured the world in the very early 1980s. And who was he? He was the first doctor's assistant. Ian Chesterton stands watching the ponderous rise and fall of the time rotor in the bright gleam of the console room. I'm Fiona Sheehan and I play Beatrice. He's gone. Father. I know. That's why I came. She starts the episode and she's grieving because she's just lost her father and um, and so she's, she's all alone really and when her twin brother appears back on the scene I feel like her only um, objective in, in this is that she needs to keep hold of her brother at all costs because she doesn't want to lose him again. She thought he was dead, she thought she'd lost him in the war she's just lost her father and the only thing that's important to her is keeping hold of him and She's very suspicious about these um, these people who've entered her house and these seances, and she doesn't want anything to rock her little world that she's just managed to get back. Beatrice, I, I've come back. I am Gunnar Cawthry, and I play Morris. I'm sorry! I'm sorry! Sorry for what, Morris? To get such a big chunk, uh, just a two-hander with, with Tom Baker is... Is, is fantastic and he's a he's a very sensitive actor you know he people think of him as this 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 great booming voice but he's he's really very generous actor to work with um and the material because it's centered on the first world war it's it's extremely poignant um it's it's uh, a period we're of course all very familiar with but uh, but to actually place yourself in that moment uh, and imagine that you're about to go over the top uh it's 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 something that's it's it's a real privilege to play. Really, really, really moving material to play. Nothing quite like travelling by steam train, is there, Tom, my boy? No, Mr. Talbot. My name is Ricky Norton, and I play Tom. Careful with the luggage. Yes, Mr. Talbot. Tom is a very lovely, innocent young chap who works for uh, Mr. Talbot. He. Kind of like a busybody, he makes sure that uh, Talbot has everything he needs, uh, and he gets himself into lots of f- strange and wonderful situations. Now, Tom, take hands with the doctor. Here, doctor. My pleasure. How to do? Then Morris with Tom. Very well. It's such a, a magnificent kind of world to be a part of. I think, and I definitely count myself as a very lucky actor to be able to to be here. I was going to ask our writer. Say, on the bottom of page thirteen, towards the end there. Oh, I know. Oh, no, no, sorry. Are you withdrawing? Uh, Oh, yes, I said no. Are you you a scientist? I am Phil Mulrine, and I wrote this episode and make a slight cameo for about three lines as Jack in it. Yeah, no, nothing to offer, thank you. As you were. I think the idea for a ghost story, Kim, was given to me. I think that was David Richardson, the producer, saying, uh, how about trying a, a ghost story? And... You know, I uh, grew up watching The X-Files and I'm totally into that kind of uh, genre. I've read um, uh, ghost stories by um, 
different writers like MR James and EF Benson. Um, so anyway, the, the idea of doing that really excited me. Um, and then I mugged up a little bit more. I kind of uh, watched a, a few uh, scary movies and um, read things like The Haunting of Hill House um, and, and watched the movie The Haunting. And it, it, it seemed like a really exciting idea for a Doctor Who story because that's the brilliant thing about Doctor Who can be anything you know every week can be a different genre a different adventure you can get so many because he can go anywhere and he can do anything the difficulty I guess with doing a ghost story is how do you fit that in with his world which is one of science and rationalism and even if it's far out even if it's um, crazy things that we've never seen on earth they are explicable so how do you get the inexplicable into uh, Doctor Who and hopefully the solution to that was playing around with time which was an idea that excited me because what is a ghost except someone in the wrong time period they they shouldn't be where they are because they're already dead it's funny when you said i uh about your auras mm. it seems to me you can ask our writer is do you think it's funnier is that we both pick up on that romana and the doctor say in unison our auras this doesn't work if people are trying to score off each other it's actually sharing the drama and trying to respond depending on the point of view. I mean, it's a lovely thing from Simon Jones when he started out being a bombastic, uh, crashing bore, and in, 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 you know, in the space of an hour and a half, wins us round, and was very touching at the end, wasn't it? It's marvellous, that, although he came in extremely well prepared. But he was responding, wasn't he, to, to other people, I noticed. So one take, it was done one way, and then suddenly the next take would be improved in another area. And then his take on that take would be interesting, and it's endlessly fascinating to me. I just, I just love it. I just absolutely love it. You know, I think you've all worked for us before, but possibly in the other studio in London. But it's it's all stay on mic all the time, even you know for stuff that's off mic. All right, should we have a read? Are you ready, Paul? Okay, let's have a read and cue. Tom Baker, that's me. My name's Lala Ward, and I play Romana. In the haunting of Malkin Place. <laughs> a ghost story. <laughs> Can I talk to you a moment? Can I talk to you a moment, Morris? Of course. Uh, <clears throat> no, something... Uh, <sighs> What's wrong? Uh, what? <laughs> so, cold. so cold. Stop! Stop! Well, it's it's marvelous, isn't it? We can, it's another proof that we can do any anything we want, you know. Um, because ghosts are always ghosts. We don't talk about ghosts in the future. Ghosts are always in the past. And um, if you want to know anything about ghosts or have a relationship with a ghost, then somehow or other you've got to go into the past. Sometimes a long way into the past. And really, that's very difficult to do if you're not Doctor Who. Very difficult indeed, except, of course, in one's imagination. But um, So our writers can send me anywhere they want, and I can take Romana with me. 
I hate ghosts. And I started reading it and I thought, oh God, what are they going to make me say? But actually, I think I'm well enough known now to the people who write these scripts for them to know that if they gave me lines where I went along with the idea that there are such things as ghosts, I'd have been up in arms and causing you all terrible trouble. So you never did. And I'm deeply grateful for it. And I constantly want people to understand that reality is more exciting than this nonsense of the supernatural. But there is a pseudo scientific reason in a Doctor Who way for it. Well, of course, there has to be a pseudo scientific reason in a Doctor Who kind of a way, and it's all managed very elegantly, and you can listen to it to find out. What's the point of a go- Oh, the chill up the spine, the glorious tingling mystery of the inexplicable. I love ghost stories. I love those. We like to be frightened, don't we? We like to be frightened. I mean, not frightened in the sense of any reality, but we like to be able to read a story and imagine ourselves in that situation, but nothing really horrid like being beaten or hurt or something like that. It's a we love ghost stories. I mean, the whole of uh, literature, the ancient literature, the ancient gods, the ancient mythologies, all about ghosts, really, aren't they? People in other worlds coming down. Nobody move. What is it? Yes. Oh, Oh. (laughs) Sindon. My word, yes. A cold spot. A definite cold spot. I'm Simon Jones, and I'm playing Ned Talbot. And after all your scepticism, Doctor... Oh, one can only be right nearly all the time. Now, my boy, where shall we prepare? Well, I decided to approach it in much the same way as Angela Lansbury. How's that for name-dropping? <clears throat> I've just done uh, a run in, on Broadway and a run in London of Blythe Spirit with her playing Madame Arcati, and I thought, well, he's a spiritualist, I'll take a leaf out of her book. And she approached the character by being absolutely straightforward, down the line. She believes in what she's saying. And so I thought, well, that's obviously the way to do it, because it seemed to be most effective in that way, mm-hmm. rather than being some sort of con artist who you can see through. And having seen her do that night after night, I sort of knew roughly how to approach it, I think. Mrs. Mountford? Where's she gone? The other lady? Well, I didn't notice. But listen, my boy, your sister will be fine with Romana and Tom. As for us, this evening's attempt at contact won't prepare itself. Well, of course, I know Douglas Adams very well. Um, quite aside from that, I was also on the stage show. Of course he was. With Trevor Martin. And that was Seven Keys to Doomsday. That's right, yeah. Terry Nation. It was a most lavish production, directed by Mick Hughes, the lighting designer, designed by John Napier, who was at his peak at that time, all sorts of hydraulics and uh, astonishing stage effects. In the first act, I was actually uh, described in the one of the papers, I can't remember which, is 12 foot of cobby, cobwebby malevolence. <laughs> I was uh, the Grand Master of Khan, and I stood on a set of library steps, and uh, in my hands, which formed my elbows, I had those things you get uh, tins off high shelves with, um, so that my arms were twice as long as they really are. And I was covered in cobwebs of some kind, and had a huge translucent head with fairy lights in. And the the, the doctor and the Grand Master had this duel of brains, and as he concentrated harder and harder, slowly my fairy lights went out one by one until I slumped. Was the strangest job you've ever had? That was pretty weird. <laughs> and then the second half I had to be a Dalek, because I couldn't be wasted. Just yeah. come on for one act. Rather fun to trundle around with my feet on the... Uh, pushing the rollers around. I couldn't do the voice. Somebody in the wings was doing the voice, but I could manipulate the eyes and the, uh, and the gun. And I should also point out that I am one of the most unlikely doctor's assistants because there was a fellow called James Matthews who played Jimmy in this stage show with Wendy Padbury. Mm -hmm. 
and he fell ill one day, and I, for reasons beyond my understanding to this day, was his understudy. And it started with us in the show, sitting in the row, in among the audience, ready to go up when the doctor came out saying, help me, help me, and all the faces were passing by on screens, and uh, he was clearly in a bad way, and Wendy would say, gosh, he seems to be in trouble, let's go and help. To which I have to say, Nick Briggs, our director, said, well, what show had they actually gone to see in the first place? But we won't go into that. Anyway, the night Jimmy Matthews was off and I was on, they said, we regret to inform you that the part of Jimmy, played by James Matthews, will be played by Simon Jones. And the woman behind me turned to her companion and said, who the hell's Simon Jones? I desperately wanted to say, me. <laughs> but she must have known when I got up and joined the show. I was the sort of... <laughs> geeky know-it-all. I was quite different from Jimmy, who was short and cockney, and I was the sort of bespectacled, uh, perhaps I know a bit better, even though I had the same lines as he did. It was a very peculiar evening, I think. A collector's item for anyone who remembers being there. Well, you remember this so well. Most people don't remember their jobs from... Oh. Well, well, I don't know what to say about that. Um, it was fairly memorable. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? Yes? Are these seats occupied? Be our guests. Ah, I find that um, my fans, I'm sure it's true of Doctor Who fans as well, don't really impose themselves on you. And uh, as I spend a lot of time in America, I always know when I go into a sound studio that the engineer will probably cock his head to one side and think, I know that voice. So it's, uh, it, it, but it's not a curse by any means. No, it's not like one of these parts you have to shake off for the rest of your life. Well, unless I'm blissfully ignorant, of course. <laughs> did, you, did you create Friends for Life? Oh, yes. You mean doing the series? Yeah. Well, I had lunch with Jeff McGiven only yesterday. Yeah. And, um, oh yes, I'm in touch with all of them, yeah. I'm just going. What? My name is Denise Black, and I play Mrs Mountford. Where did you come from? The hall. Very quietly. I'm just going. I'd rather not be around any seances. This is, uh, uh, I've, oh gosh, it's why I like working just in sound. Uh, so this is not my normal kind of casting. Um, she, she's uh, um, quite proper, isn't she? And um, uh, I'd like to be proper. <laughs> but uh, I've had a lot of fun um, pretending to be proper, only with a twist. She has a secret. Someone's coming. It's dark, I can't see. There, coming over the marsh. Second big finish. I'm on my second doctor. Ah, so how did we lure you back? Well, I begged. If you remember, I went on my hands and knees and I said, please, 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 I've never been so happy. And you got me, Tom Baker. You understand that Tom's one of my doctors. Is he? Yeah, yeah, he's really one of my doctors. I mean, all the four, first four, anyway, Tom. And, of course, I have worked, I want you to know, with a guy called William Russell. He's now called Russell Enoch. And uh, Russell, as I call him, from Russell Enoch, and I worked together for a year. We toured the world in the very early 1980s and who was he he was the first doctor's assistant ian chesterton stands watching the ponderous rise and fall of the time rotor in the bright gleam of the console room listening to the grating whine of the ship's engines wondering not for the first time where the old man is taking them this time so we were touring South America and he was playing Don Quixote 
and this was the job that got me my equity card and um, I'll never forget Don Quixote uh, it's very tiring you know touring and Don Quixote is a big big part I was playing about 14 15 20 different characters or with a different hat and accent and um, just grateful to learn from and uh, um, so dear Russell was uh, Don Quixote and you know he falls asleep with Sancho Panza in front of the um, windmills well Russell did fall asleep <laughs> and when Chris Barnes who was playing Sancho came to wake him up <laughs> dear Russell then he jumped out of his skin because not only did he realise he'd fallen asleep on stage but he'd fallen asleep on stage in South America <laughs> and a wonderful man yeah and he also fell in love with his lady love, Eteline, in um, South America. That's where we met her. They met. Mm. I saw him on Saturday. Would you, would you please give him a big kiss? I will. I wonder whether, uh, Fiona, mm-hmm. um, before your Oh God, if, we could, if you could give us a bit of breathy stuff, which you probably yeah. have to aim just past to one side of the microphone. Okay. I'm Fiona Sheehan and I play Beatrice. He's gone. Father. I know. That's why I came. He died. Oh, my dear. Can I do anything? Not unless you can bring back the dead. She's obviously, she starts the episode and she's grieving because she's just lost her father. And um, and so she's, she's all alone, really. And when her twin brother appears back on the scene, I feel like her only... Um, objective in in this is that she needs to keep hold of her brother at all costs because she doesn't want to lose him again she thought he was dead she thought she'd lost him in the war she's just lost her father and the only thing that's important to her is keeping hold of him and she's very suspicious about these um these people who've entered her house and these seances and she doesn't want anything to rock her little world that she's just managed to get back yeah she's having quite a tough time actually through most of this story Get out of my way. I need to get to Morris. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry for what, Morris? Eh? I am Gunnar Cawthry and I play Morris. Gunnar and I were um, at Bristol University at the same time. So we got to know each other when we were there. So it's been really nice catching up with him doing this. Beatrice, I've come back. He's very interesting, Morris. He's um, In this story, he's, he's caught in a state of anxiety. Uh, he's not where he should be. There's something that's that's, that's pulled him out of, of of where he ought to be, and and uh, and and really throughout the story, it's it's like he's trying to resolve something in himself that 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 can only really be resolved one way. And uh, there's a lovely scene at the end with you and Tom, where all becomes uh, transparent as to what's going on. I mean, it must have been lovely stuff to play with, was it? It's a lovely scene towards the end, yeah, uh, and particularly to get such a big chunk uh, of just a two-hander with with Tom Baker is 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 fantastic, and he's a he's a very sensitive actor, you know. He people think of him as this 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 great booming voice, but he's he's really very generous actor to work with, um, and the material because it's centered on the First World War, it's it's extremely poignant. Um, it's it's uh, a period, of course, all very familiar with but uh, but to actually place yourself in that moment uh, and imagine that you're about to go over the top uh, it, it's 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 something that's it's it's a real privilege to play really 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 moving material to play
Nothing quite like travelling by steam train, is there, Tom, my boy? No, Mr Talbot. My name is Ricky Norton and I play Tom. Careful with the luggage. Yes, Mr Talbot. Tom is a very lovely, innocent young chap who works for uh, Mr Talbot. He kind of like a busybody. He makes sure that uh, Talbot has everything he needs uh, and he gets himself into lots of strange and wonderful situations. Now, Tom, take hands with the Doctor. Here, Doctor. My pleasure. How to do? Then Morris with Tom. Very well. It's such a, a magnificent kind of world to be a part of, I think, and I definitely count myself as a very lucky actor to be able to, to be here. Oh, I can't see anything. I won a competition called the Carlton Hobbs while I was at drama school. Um, and I was on the BBC Radio Rep for, for five months. Uh, so we recorded plays for BBC Three and Four. Um, and it was brilliant. And, and again, like being here today with, with, uh, recording the Doctor Who, it's, I was saying earlier in the green room that it's, uh, it's certainly a, a medium that if you are a part of as an actor, you should take yourself extremely fortunate. I mean, I've got lots of acting uh, friends who would love to do radio or audio or, or, you know, this this side of the industry because it's such a... what considered sometimes as a, a small uh, section of the, of the industry but is actually massive I mean, it's huge and it reaches more people i had a really great statistic that you know plays on bbc three or four uh reach more people than if you fill out the national theater all three theaters for a year uh, i mean that's just amazing uh, and to be a part of that that medium and trying to keep it going is uh, it's brilliant and i'm very very lucky i was going to ask our writer say on the bottom of page 13 towards the end there Oh, I know. Oh, no, no, sorry. Are you withdrawing? Uh, are you, uh, oh, yes, I said no. Are you, are, you a are, you, are you a scientist? I am Phil Mulrine, and I wrote this episode and make a slight cameo for about three lines as Jack in it. Yeah, no, nothing to offer, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> as you are. I had been involved as an actor for Big Finish, so I've done uh, some Doctor Who's with Big Finish, and I've done some uh, Avengers and Survivors, um, which has all been amazing. And then it was uh, a phone call out of the blue from David Richardson, the producer, uh, who said, would you be interested in um, uh, having a go at writing an episode? And I was like, would I? Yeah, of course I would. So um, that was the beginning, really. Right, should we have a read of this, Tom? Are you, yeah, yeah, let's see. Let's, yeah, okay, anyway, okay. No. And cue. I think the idea for a ghost story, Kim, was given to me. I think that was David Richardson, the producer, saying, uh, how about trying a, a ghost story? And... You know, I uh, grew up watching The X-Files uh, and I'm totally into that kind of uh, genre. I've read um, uh, ghost stories by um, different writers like M.R. James and E.F. Benson. Um, so anyway, the, the idea of doing that really excited me. Um, and then I mugged up a little bit more. I kind of uh, watched a, a few uh, scary movies and um, read things like The Haunting of Hill House um, and, and watched the movie The Haunting. And it, it, it seemed like a really exciting idea for a Doctor Who story because... That's the brilliant thing about Doctor Who. It can be anything, you know. Every week can be a different genre, a different adventure. You can get so many because he can go anywhere and he can do anything. 
the difficulty i guess with doing a ghost story is how do you fit that in with his world which is one of science and rationalism and even if it's far out even if it's um crazy things that we've never seen on earth they are explicable so how do you get the inexplicable into uh, doctor who and hopefully the solution to that was playing around with time which was an idea that excited me because what is a ghost except someone in the wrong time period they they shouldn't be where they are because they're already dead and mrs mountford could you please check on beatrice oh mrs mountford where's she gone so i think the idea of a ghost story was given to me i think the idea of the 1920s came from me but but fitted into just it felt right because of that explosion in spiritualism that came after the first world war when so many people had lost so many other sons husbands brothers so that setting attracted me and once you start going down that route and, and maybe especially with the sort of centenary of the first world war which we're in at the minute you start feeling um I think a responsibility not just to be completely frivolous about it but you know what because I did some background reading on Passchendaele for this and it's just you know soberingly horrific what people actually went through so and and again Doctor Who is so stretchy and malleable that you can do that you can get serious elements in even when there are still jokes in the script even when it's a bit of an adventure Doctor Who can totally do heart and I hope that does come out in this because if it doesn't I think that would be uh, wrong to just use the First World War as story material without kind of being honest about the heartache that, that came with it. On my arm a patch of mud! You need to calm yourself Beatrice. The men, they're here, they've come for me. Stop it both of you! I thought it was really exciting because I hadn't made the connection that the writer was an actor that I was going to work with and it was only as we were recording in the room that it became apparent to sleepy Denise and I think that's just absolutely brilliant and I take my hat off to him. When I read this uh, script for the first time, uh, the words did really come off the page. The dialogue felt very plausible and very much of the period and he obviously was a keen student of uh, the Doctor Who canon because... uh, it, it, it fitted in with with some of those uh, older stories that are set in the Victorian era that they that they often were. Uh, you you um, obviously this isn't Victorian, but 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 that kind of milieu, you know, uh, of using a time traveller to to take you into periods of history that we're we're somewhat familiar with and just bending them a bit. Well, I'm very excited to be doing this because I've known Phil's writing for a little while in um, in other capacities with his work uh, for the Fitzrovia Radio Hour, um, which is where I met Dan Starkey and um, Alex Dunmore, who've done a couple of these Doctor Who episodes as well. And he's, he just puts together a really good story. And I really enjoy... Um, I really enjoy the characters he's created and he seems to have really mastered speaking in the with the Doctor's voice as well. The Doctor's character really comes out strongly in this story, I think. Phil is great. I mean, it's very funny, it's very witty, it's a lot of drama, a lot of action, uh, and it's just an absolute pleasure to, to be a part of it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I wish Phil lots of success in the future. I'm sure there's a lot coming his way, uh, and, and it's, it's absolutely great. It's brilliant, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope that it helps to have have been an actor and so 
you've got a sense for how lines might sound and you're hopefully not writing stuff that is unspeakable um there's no guard against that so i might have i might have written a few lines like that um i tend not to actually speak it out loud um i suppose i might do if i was really stuck on a speech or the 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 rhythm of someone making an argument um just to see how it actually comes across it's more just hearing it in my head but i hope you know you hear um actors who turn into directors they bring a lot of advantages with them because they've been an actor and they've had good directors and bad directors and they can kind of so hopefully having been an actor and having um had experience of delivering different scripts hopefully helps you come up with dialogue that comes across well it's funny we said i uh about your auras Mm. It seems to me, you can ask our writer, is, do you think it's funnier is that we both pick up on that? Romana and the Doctor say in unison, our auras? <laughs> yeah, give me an our orders then, Tom. OK, sir. It surprised me how uh, nervous I was at the beginning of the day. Um, that, that has kind of dissipated as the day has gone on and we've had a good lunch and I think I'm just enjoying it now and enjoying the performances that, that all of these guys are giving. Um, but it's a real privilege. It really, really is. And, and especially hearing Tom Baker deliver your stuff. Well, I thought it was lovely. I enjoyed it. And at the end, one of, do you remember one of the actors cried out at the end of one of the latest scenes there, oh, this is very good, very good indeed. Uh, I think it's a lovely story. And, uh, and also, he took very, uh, very easily and enthusiastically to any little suggestions that the, that the, the, direct, the director or I made because we operate a very easy system here where anyone can responsibly make a little suggestion and it's swiftly acted upon and dismissed if it's worthless. Uh, but I could see that the actor was very, 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 um, very happy. When you're preparing a script at home uh, on your own, uh, whatever ideas you have about how you might play it and, and so on, they inevitably change slightly once you're in the studio because, of course, uh, you, you've imagined the other lines spoken in a certain way and then as soon as you hear a living breathing 3d human being speaking them um, instead of your own imagination it 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 really feeds you it colors it in a in a in, in a wonderful way so one of the best things you get in the studio is that immediacy because you've only met that day and you, you haven't sort of worked through for several weeks you, you you're really responding in the moment to, to what you're getting from the other actors what I find is that I'll usually have quite a good idea of it from having read it a couple of times and then going through individual scenes, but then it invariably comes out slightly differently when once you're in the recording booth and and uh, and so and you know most of the time that's a good thing I hope. Reading the script the first time, uh, you know, I think you consciously kind of write your gut instinct notes and it's very very vulnerable, quite quiet. Um, it's a lot younger than I am, uh, and. Coming in the first day with, with the cast, I think um, I think absolutely. I'd know I'd, I'd never met Simon Jones, who plays Talbot before, and hearing him for the first time, yeah, it definitely alters it. Uh, I think it raises your game um, a lot, uh, and you kind of and you want to, yeah, you don't want to sound out too much. And I think if if, if so, so so uh, Simon Jones playing Talbot has a uh, has certain rhythms and patterns he's chosen uh, for his character. I think 
it's nice if you can kind of complement each other in a certain way. You don't want to stand up too much. This doesn't work if people are trying to score off each other. It's actually sharing the drama and trying to respond depending on the point of view. I mean, it's a lovely thing from Simon Jones where he started out being a bombastic, uh, crashing bore and in, 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 you know, in the space of an hour and a half wins us round and was very touching at the end, wasn't it? It's marvellous that, although he came in extremely well prepared. But he was responding, wasn't he, to, to other people, I noticed. So on one take, it was done one way, and then suddenly the next take would be improved in another area. And then his take on that take would be interesting, and it's endlessly fascinating to me. I just, I just love it. I just absolutely love it. Don't be morbid. It's such lovely autumn weather. Let's take the steam train. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, that's really lovely. We're you, off. Can, you can all go and have a lie down now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, cheers, brilliant.